Good to be with you all this morning. Beautiful winter day, very mild here in Michigan for the time of year, so I hope you're enjoying it. We are in the series that is sort of exploring all the aspects of Advent and Christmas. Over the last few weeks, we've talked about the expectation that we reenact or relive together every year about the expectation that the Israelite people had for a Messiah, one who'd been promised, that God had promised that would redeem the world, change things, sort of set things right, and that God would fulfill his promises. Over the last few weeks, we've been focusing on different elements of the story. And sometimes we get so familiar with the story, we sort of jump over some of the details and get to the end. And so this morning, I'm going to sort of review for us where we're at, because over the past few weeks, we've been able to focus on sort of the idea that God is Emmanuel, God is with us, and certainly that's going to come in the next few weeks. Last week, Doug did a great job talking and focusing on Mary. The title of the sermon was Just Mary, and he focused on all the elements of Mary's call. And this morning, in the same spirit, I'm going to focus on just Joseph. One we're tempted to look over. One we're tempted to sort of jump and focus on Mary, sort of like a groom at a wedding, all the focus is on the bride. Today we're going to take some time and focus on Joseph's story. I'm a visual learner, so I always try and have something that helps me focus. But I hope today that you'll have the sense that, hey, who is this Joseph? I see the nativity, but I don't know a lot about Joseph. And so maybe this morning when you go through the rest of your Advent journey, you can be like, okay, wow, okay, I have a better picture last week of who Mary was. Because remember what Doug says, he says, hey, are you pregnant with the gospel? Is it something that you're carrying, that you're waiting for, that you're hoping to share in that same way we're excited about a baby to come? Are you pregnant with the gospel and wanting to share that with others? Today, I'm hoping in the same way that you're sort of inspired by Joseph. Maybe the question is, what kind of man is Joseph? We hear in the scriptures that he's a carpenter or a builder. Because if you've had the chance to go to Israel, which I had the opportunity a long time ago, you realize that certainly it says that Joseph was a builder. But unlike here, we have a lot of wood here in Michigan, but in Israel, most of the building materials are stone. So we're not sure if Joseph was a carpenter of wood or of stone or of both, but we know that he would likely be a man who had calloused hands. It says in Scripture that he was a faithful man, a righteous man, and a stand-up kind of guy. He seems to me to be the kind of guy who would show up if you had a problem at your house, who would come help you fix your garage door? Or, who would, or if you got stuck in a ditch, that he would come help get you out? Or if you had a hole in your roof, or you need someone to help you fix your pipes, that he would be that kind of guy to show up? Reminds me of a lot of guys here at Community Reform Church. Tim, Kevin, Jim, Greg, Dan. There's hundreds of guys that I could name. 
But this morning, I want you to, that we're, we're going to focus on just Joseph. And Joseph was an ordinary guy. Just like Doug said last week that Mary was an ordinary, young, teenage Hebrew girl. Joseph was either an older teenager or probably maybe in his 20s. That was someone who was just a faithful Jewish man. And one of the things about Christmas that we maybe need to remember is that we have sort of sometimes tempted to clean up the Christmas story and we forget the scandal of Christmas and the divine interruption that sort of upsets everything that happened. So this morning, I want to read for us from Matthew chapter 1. You see, in Luke's gospel, the focus is very much on Mary. But in Matthew's gospel, as we start out in the first chapter, there is the whole genealogy of Jesus, which Trent will unpack next week, and we'll learn lots about that history. But the first narrative we see is mostly about Joseph and Joseph's response. And so this morning, as we turn into God's Word, Will you listen and hear for what we can learn from Joseph this morning? Here's the word of the Lord. This is how the birth of the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said to the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. And he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son. And he gave him the name Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So this morning we hear that Joseph and Mary are betrothed to one another to be married. In the Jewish system of marriage, there would be the time of publicly announcing your intent to be married. There would be a time of betrothal that may last a year where you were publicly identified with one another. Even you can see in the scripture that Joseph was called her husband, but it was a time where they lived apart, but were sort of in this time of betrothal. And then there was the marriage ceremony where they were publicly married and then they would live together. But from the moment that a woman or a man was treated, was betrothed to one another, they were treated as if they were sort of actually married. And the union could only be dissolved by a regular divorce. 
And we can see first something about Joseph in this passage is that Joseph's character shines through in this initial moment of scandal and chaos and confusion. And maybe we can admire him because as the greatest story ever told starts, the beginning of the story, there's a real moral dilemma because Joseph hears the three words no groom ever wants to hear from his engaged or betrothed bride is, I am pregnant. Mary was officially betrothed to Joseph, and they had maintained a chaste relationship, and she was found pregnant. This, of course, created a very personal dilemma for Joseph since he knew he was not the father of the baby. You know, what's a man to do? We know how Joseph initially responded. He didn't believe her. How could he? I wonder how you guys in the room, how would you have responded? His plans for a happy home with the woman that he loved were crumbling before his eyes as this news came out from Mary. His life as well as hers had been powerfully interrupted by this divine encounter. And since Joseph was a righteous, just man, he had a double problem, at least in his own mind, which I'm going to unpack for us now. First, because of Joseph's righteous moral standards, he knew that he should not go through with the marriage because of Mary's pregnancy. He knew that he was not the father and rightfully assumed that Mary had relationship with, had relations with another man. But second, because of his righteous love and kindness, he could not bear the thought of shaming her publicly. It was a common practice in that day for such an offense. The greater demand of the Old Testament was that she be stoned as provided for in Deuteronomy 22, 23, and 24. Christian preacher and author Max Lucado talks about it like this. Joseph was caught between what God says and what makes sense When Joseph assessed the situation, he had two choices. He could publicly accuse Mary of adultery and have her stoned to death, which was prescribed as the penalty for for that offense, or he could settle it quietly with divorce. You know, Joseph had, at least in his mind, been dishonored by what Mary had done. But he did not cast Mary out because he loved her, cared for her, cherished her. And because he loved her, he did not want to humiliate her. So he was planning on taking the second option to resolve to quietly divorce her. And we get a glimpse of his character and his concern for Mary because he wasn't concerned about his own offense, his own reputation. He was concerned, we hear in the scripture, for hers, for Mary. And though Joseph was a godly, righteous, upright man, he was willing to suffer many trials and challenges because of his love for Mary and the situation they found themselves. The second part of this story is that we see as as Joseph is wrestling with what to do he has a sort of divine encounter when he's sleeping. He finally, I don't know if it was a period of weeks or months or or whatever it was, he finally sort of relaxed. And in the midst of a time where he stands down and relaxes, 
that he has an encounter. God speaks to him in a way. See, it says in our scripture that Joseph was a faithful man and that he had worked, he was a righteous man, that he had worked to know God's word. He had worked to be a man of prayer and learn to be responsive to the ways of God. And maybe one of the first things for us this morning is the idea that maybe we as followers of Jesus, maybe as we as followers of the living God, need to train ourselves to be responsive to the voice of God and to be ready. We talk all about Advent as being a time where we reenact the time when they didn't know when Christmas was coming, and we talk about the time when we prepare for Jesus is coming again, and we will never know when that time is, so we need to be people who are ready. And Joseph was a kind of person who was ready. Now let me tell you a story. A number of years ago, when I was serving as a campus minister at Grand Valley State University, we were in the midst of a staff meeting with my colleagues, Ben and Stacy Post, who had been preparing to adopt for many years. They had tried and not been able to get pregnant, and they had gone through the steps to, pre- to prepare and apply for adoption, and they didn't know when the opportunity was going to come. And in the midst of one of our staff meetings, they got a call and said, guess what? There's a baby who's been born in Detroit, and the mother has chosen you. Do you want to, go- to receive this little boy And in a matter of minutes, I saw them make a life-altering decision to leave within 20 minutes and go to Detroit and adopt this little boy. They were ready for the call. Like I said, I saw a life-altering decision made before our eyes, and I think that is sort of the spirit of Joseph, that this divine interruption that comes when an angel speaks to Joseph in a dream and says this, but as Joseph considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, reminding him of who he is, do not fear, take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son and you will call him Jesus for he will save the people from his sins. The angel confirms Mary's account that we read in Luke and says, hey, this pregnancy isn't what you think. It's from the Holy Spirit. It's a gift of God. It's a miraculous conception. And we see that Joseph believed right then and there. Despite all the doubts and fears, he awoke And and I think he just sort of rested his future in the hands of the living God at that time. And And he said, okay, Lord, I'm gonna follow. I'm gonna obey. For me, this is the first great act of faith in the New Testament. Along with Mary, Joseph not only put down the stone of revenge, But he picked up the mantle of leadership and compassion and understanding for Mary and for Jesus later on, and he avoided the rash, knee-jerk reaction, but instead listened to the angel and obeyed. You know, when God is speaking to Joseph, he presents a new way of obedience for Joseph that Joseph had either overlooked or dismissed as not being an option, 
And Joseph learned that this apparent disaster that's going on with him and his betrothed Mary, that this apparent disaster was clearing the way for a mighty work of God to come. And I I guess this morning for all of us to wrestle with is that the significance of what Joseph did cannot be overstated. You see, he, he, he was a normal guy who had a great faith in an amazing God. You notice in each of these verses that I've been reading that, that, that Joseph was a very obedient man. First is he obeyed God. He stood up and stayed in the situation. He married Mary publicly. He didn't do it privately. He, didn't do her, he married her publicly. He honored her virginity until the baby was born and then faithfully named him Jesus, which the Spirit had revealed for him to do. No questions, no arguments, just straightforward obedience. And alongside of Mary, he's the first New Testament figure to hear and unreservedly accept the Word of God. And in so doing, he enabled the great messianic mission of prophecy, the fulfillment of prophecy to be fulfilled. I'm going to quote Chuck Swindoll, who is a great preacher of our day. I just love the succinctness of this quote. It says, Joseph fully accepted what he could never fully explain. Joseph fully accepted what later he could never fully explain. Mary could never completely explain what had happened. The virgin birth and the virgin conception was something that you could never fully explain because it's a miracle. He was, Mary was encountered by the Holy Spirit and conceived this child, Jesus. It's a miracle that can't be completely explained except by a work of God. And Joseph faced it all throughout his life, throughout his day, faced all the weird looks and comments, the scandal comments and the jeers of Jesus being an illegitimate son. And one of the things that's noteworthy about this story is that Joseph did not get a speaking part in this play. There is nowhere in Scripture where Joseph says anything. But he is central to the whole story of the birth of Jesus. And let me read this quote. It says, There was a moment when the entirety of God's messianic plan rested in the hands of this simple man, Joseph, who was completely free to accept or reject what he was hearing from both Mary and God's angel. Matthew traces Jesus' lineage back through Joseph's side of the family, establishing Jesus as the son of David and the son of Abraham by virtue of his legally binding status as Joseph's son, fulfilling the Old Testament prophecy that the Messiah would come from the house of David. And thus we see the importance of Joseph's role in this magnificent drama. If Joseph had carried through with his original plan, Jesus would have been seen illegitimate in the eyes of culture But according to Matthew, it also would have been denied the validity of being in the Davidic heritage, a son of David. So Joseph, in this moment, when the whole plan of God rests on a young teenage girl and a little bit older man, 
the whole divine sweep of salvation history comes down to these two young adults. It's powerful. And it says, and Joseph took Mary home as his wife. Jesus stands with Mary through thick and thin. He stands in and stands up for Mary and Jesus as an advocate. He pleads on their behalf in the culture that, it, that they were in. Jesus and Mary, if they didn't have Joseph, would be, be vulnerable. But Joseph takes Mary as his wife. And he provides a partner in raising Jesus, respecting her, protecting her. Even though Joseph knew far less of the messianic plan than we know today, And he couldn't explain this remarkable, miraculous birth. Joseph is described as a righteous man. He was certainly that, but so much more. In Matthew chapter 2, which we're going to hear about in a week or two, following the birth of Jesus, Joseph led his family to Egypt from the prompting of the Holy Spirit to avoid the evil of King Herod. Joseph protected Mary and Jesus. And Joseph shared with Mary in the rearing of Jesus into manhood. He was the stand-in adoptive dad. He was the one who trained up Jesus as a young man. By Jewish tradition, the father educated the children. Joseph was the one who taught Jesus to read and write educated him in the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament. As an adult, Jesus frequently quoted from the Bible. Those were verses he most likely heard and read with his father, Joseph. Joseph also taught Jesus the trade of building, whether it's stonework or carpentry. And Jesus was known as a carpenter or a builder. Now, after the age of 12, when in the narrative, Jesus, I mean, Mary and Joseph go to the temple when Jesus is 12, Joseph is not mentioned in the rest of the biblical gospel stories. It's likely they concluded that Joseph died at an earlier age before Jesus' public ministry began when he was around 30 years old. But Joseph had a powerful shaping influence as a stand-in dad, father, for Joseph. And perhaps one of the conclusions for us this morning is this. If we're going to be like Joseph, or in many ways be like Jesus, his son, maybe you and I need to consider who are we going to stand in with or stand up for in the world that we live. A couple of weeks ago, the group of men that I meet with, we've been studying the book of Hebrews and using a study by one of the preachers. His name is Derwin Gray. And in one of our messages that we were engaging with, Derwin told a story about when he would go to school and read to his fourth grade daughter and her class at school. Derwin's a former NFL football player who's now a full-time pastor. And he talked about going to the school and he would read and he would read all these different 
different stories, read about Ferdinand and different stories like that. And, and he talked about when he would leave the class, his daughter would come up and give him a big hug and say, I love, I love you, Dad. Thanks for coming. And one day when Derwin was leaving, after that happened with his daughter, another little boy ran up, a fourth grader, and gave him a hug and said, I love you, Dad. See you next time. And it just broke. Derwin left the room quickly, and he just broke down. And he said, oh, my gosh. I thought I was going just for my daughter. I didn't realize how I was standing in for some of those who don't have a father, don't have parents, are in the midst of difficult situations. And so I wonder this morning for us, as we think about all that Joseph did, all that Joseph gave an example for, is who do we need to stand in and stand up for? A lot of you here are grandparents. Maybe your kids or your grandkids need you in a greater way than you ever expected. Maybe if your parents here, there's other kids in your neighborhood or other kids in the graves that your kids are in who needs you to stand in for them in some ways. A personal note from me. I stand here today, excuse me, because two seminary students, Mel and Dave, when I was growing up, stood in for my dad when my dad was ill. They were stand-in father figures for me in a time when I needed it most. I'm not sure how God is nudging you this morning, but I pray that you might think about who in my community, who in my neighborhood, who in my family or extended family do I need to be like Joseph and stand in for or stand up with. You see, Joseph coming out of this dream, coming out of this revelation from the Holy Spirit, has this new perspective that probably sustained him to walk the rest of his life a little bit unhindered. Because think about it, Joseph in his lifetime never was fully vindicated in the eyes of others. Right? Because he didn't get to see Jesus complete his work on this earth before he passed away. But maybe Joseph carried around in his heart that every when he got an odd look, where he got sort of that snide comment under somebody's breath, or somebody heard somebody whispering in the background about his past, he could look at that growing boy Jesus and know that that was a living testament of God's love for him. And for Joseph to know that for every bit of shame that Joseph took on, or every bit of fear that he might have had about how the story would have played out, He had the assurance that the child, the Messiah, the one to come, the one who's going to save us from our sins would be the one day to overcome, not only for Joseph and for Mary, all the power of shame, the power of sin, the power of death, and the fears that hold us bound. 
Joseph's faith in God led him to make a life-altering decision to endure the criticism of others and advocate on behalf of Mary and, Joseph, Mary and Jesus. He committed themselves to Mary and to this baby. He would do so at enormous sacrifice. Most likely his whole reputation and his work of a lifetime would be trashed. And I wonder this morning, as, as I sort of conclude my thoughts, I wonder if you can relate to this kind of situation. Maybe like Joseph, you are facing a tough decision, a life-altering kind of decision. And you can choose right now whether you are going to fight it or you are going to accept it. And my challenge to myself and to you is to go forth and act on something that you can't fully explain because of what the Holy Spirit is prompting and nudging you to do. To rest like Joseph, to rest your future in the hands of the living God. And to trust that God knows what he's doing. It's his path. Or maybe this morning you need the encouragement to know when you're facing possible criticism or the ignorant judgment of somebody in what you're doing faithfully, from, they're facing their ignorant judgment that you are willing and able by the power of God, the Holy Spirit, to do what's right. Or like we just proposed, maybe this morning God's prompting you to say, who is someone I need to support who's enduring immense troubles? Who do I need to stand with? Who do I need to stand up for and come alongside? Because this morning, as we think about it, takeaways from Joseph's life and his example is that doing the right thing in life is not always easy. It doesn't always come with rewards or recognition. Sometimes doing the right thing means that other people think you're foolish or stupid or ignorant. And stepping into difficult situations is risky, costly, sometimes messy. And if we're honest, we're often afraid of what we're going to lose out on or a hundred other fears. But the call for us this morning is the same as what the Holy Spirit told to Joseph. Do not be afraid, and will you allow this morning... This week, this Advent, this Christmas, to let the reality of who Jesus is and what he has done to so shape what you think and what you love and the direction of your life that you're willing to endure. Joseph teaches us that God uses ordinary people like you and me to accomplish extraordinary things. He was an unknown carpenter from Nazareth. The Bible does not even record one word that he spoke. Yet God used him rather powerfully because he trusted God and was simply obedient to the revealed word of God. He sought to be a godly husband and father. And I believe that God will use 
your life in astounding ways if you seek to obey him and be faithful to him in the midst of your ordinary life. Will you be faithful to God, respond to his grace and love, and embrace his power in the midst of living a life of ordinary faith and courage? Just like Joseph. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for Joseph, who proved worthy by your grace, worthy of your trust to raise Jesus. And I pray this morning you would help us to be as believing as faithful and as zealous as Joseph was in his walk of faith and take on our everyday mission that you assign to us through the power of the Holy Spirit. And in the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.